0: Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of John, verse 20, chapters 19 to 31. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. and that through believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of God for the people of God.
1: Thanks Thanks be to God. Easter and Christmas have uh, some similarities in the sense that in our greater culture, when we hear those words, Easter and Christmas, we think of single days, you know, like December 25th is Christmas and Easter was last Sunday. And, um, the truth of the matter and we talked about this back uh, back at the time of christmas christmas is actually 12 days it's a season if you will and and the Christmas Day is December 25th. Same thing with Easter. Easter is a season. It used to be known, uh, and you can look back on probably some calendars and maybe even some old bulletins, Easter was actually called Easter Tide, uh, because Easter really is that that season between Easter Sunday and Pentecost. It's 50 days. And um, so we're in this season of Easter, and that's why uh, it may seem strange to you to look at the bottom of your bulletin to see Easter Encounters, wait a second, I thought Easter was last Sunday. Well, Easter Sunday was last Sunday, and we're going to be doing, doing kind of a, a series during this season of Easter, uh, looking at various encounters of people with the risen Christ. And then we want to see if we can learn anything about ourselves and about our own living from these encounters, and that's thus the title of this worship series, Easter Encounters, Life Lessons from the Risen Christ. So I just wanted to give you a little background on that so that when you see the word Easter you don't think that we're just being anachronistic but but really this is the season of Easter. Let us uh, turn to God in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for the richness of this story that is told to us in the Gospel of John about Thomas and his, his struggle to believe and his coming to faith. We pray, Lord, that... As we look at this encounter, we might learn something about our own lives, about our own uh, journey of faith, if you will. Help us, Lord, to hear what you have to say to us. Don't let the preacher's words get in the way. But speak to us in such a way that we might hear for ourselves what you have for us. Speak to us. Your servants are listening. Amen. Well, it was a week after the first Easter Sunday. And Thomas had heard all the stories. He had heard about, you know, Mary Magdalene having seen the risen Christ. She had gone to the tomb thinking that she would find a dead body that she could kind of anoint with oil and perfume, kind of preparing the body for burial because that they didn't have a chance to do that before uh, the Sabbath. Uh, he had heard the story. She had come back and told the disciples that... Christ had risen. Um, She had met him right on the outside of that opening to the tomb. He had heard the stories of his friends, the other disciples, who were locked away behind closed doors, and yet Jesus came to them and and spoke to them and, uh, and offered them peace. He had heard that. He had heard about the two that were traveling on that road from Jerusalem to Emmaus They were on their way home, and the whole way, Jesus walked with them. And when they got to their home and they broke bread, they recognized Jesus. It was Jesus in the flesh that had risen from the grave. Thomas had heard all those stories, and there were other stories as well. John doesn't tell us about all of them. He just says there were many, many others who had experienced, who had uh, met the risen Christ. But Thomas was not going to believe. He didn't care about all those testimonies and those witnesses. All he knew is he had not seen Jesus with his own eyes. And he was not going to believe until he could take his finger and, and, and put it in the, in the nail holes of Jesus' hands. Until he could take his finger and put in the in the wound on the side of Jesus that was caused by that spear. Until he could put his hand on that wound. Thomas was not going to believe. And that's why we call him Doubting Thomas. You don't find that in the Bible. The Bible doesn't call him Doubting Thomas. He's called Didymus, the twin. I wonder, are we the other side of that twin? Because you see, Thomas is not the only one who doubts. And in fact, even in the scriptures, he's not the only one who doubts. Among the very closest of friends of Jesus, there are doubters. Take, for instance, uh, the disciples. They were hiding behind closed, locked doors because they did not really think Jesus had risen. No matter what the women said, they considered those tales idle tales So they were locking themselves away, hiding because they were thinking maybe we might be the next ones to be taken away and tried and maybe crucified. They were scared, sad, but also scared. The disciples were doubters, every bit as much of doubters as Thomas was. They had the advantage when they came to believe and when they told Thomas about it, that Jesus had appeared to them. So easily they could say, hey, come on, Thomas, what's wrong with you? Why can't you believe? Well, they already had met Jesus. No wonder they believed. And then Mary Magdalene, remember we talked about her last, last Sunday. She wasn't a great believer either. I mean, she goes to the, to the tomb on that first Easter Sunday morning, and she sees the, the door of the tomb rolled away. Her first thought is the body's stolen. She doesn't even look in. She just automatically assumes the body's gone and someone stole it. So she runs back. She tells uh, Peter and John. And it's only later, after they come to the tomb, after they look around, it's only then that she finally looks in the tomb. She doesn't even look before then. She finally looks in the tomb. And she sees two angels that tell her, you know, that he's risen. Why are you weeping? Why are you crying, Mary? He's, a, he's risen from the grave. She turns around. There's Jesus standing there. And her first thought, that's the gardener. So tell me, is Mary Magdalene a great believer, any, much, any, any more so than Thomas? Call her Doubting Mary. <laughs> well, when he calls her by name, she finally comes to believe that it is Jesus. And she runs off to tell the other disciples that, that Christ is risen. Peter and John, remember, they respond to her at first when she says the body has been stolen. Their first thought is, "Yep, let's go find out. Let's go look for the evidence." They run to the tomb. Unlike Mary, they actually go in. They look around. They see the cloths lying there. Yeah, you know, they 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 see all of that, and they come out believing, believing Mary's words that the body had been stolen. They don't believe Jesus has risen, and they go back and they lock all the doors and hide behind those doors. Now, call them doubting disciples, if you will, and then those two on the road to Emmaus, they walk the whole way from, there, from Jerusalem to their home in Emmaus and even invited this stranger into their house, not once thinking it was Jesus. Tell me they're believers. No, they were doubters just as well, Cleopas and his friend. They had heard all these stories as well, just like Thomas, but they were convinced that uh, none of it was true. They were despondent. The scriptures tell us they were actually sad, and so they're going home with their heads drooped, and it was only Jesus uh, walking with them that kind of brought the scriptures alive. It was only when he sat down at table and broke bread with them that they finally came to believe. So you might want to call Cleopas doubting Cleopas, doubting friend, doubting Peter, doubting John, doubting Mary, doubting you and me. Yeah, maybe we are the twin of Thomas. So why does it really matter anyway? Why does it matter if they believe or don't, you know? Couldn't they have just gone on with their lives anyway if they didn't believe? Why does it matter if we believe? Does it really truly matter? Does it change your life if you believe or not? Could you go on to work or school or whatever you do tomorrow? Could you just go about your, your lives without believing? Plenty of people do. Well, John puts us this way. You know, John is telling us that what we believe really does determine how we live. And he says it this way. He says, these these are written, and talking about the stories of Jesus, these stories of Jesus are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing, you may have life in his name. Now, that's a lot of words, okay? Okay. He's saying, I'm telling you all these stories. I want to tell you about Mary and Peter and John and Cleopas and and Thomas. I'm going to tell you all these stories about Jesus' appearances. I want to tell you that for a reason. And the reason is I want you to come to believe. And the reason I want you to believe is because I want you to have life. That's the ultimate purpose of all of this. The whole purpose of Jesus being sent into the world to to show us that we're loved and that we're forgiven is to give us life, the life that God wanted us to have from the very beginning of time. God wants us to believe so that we might live. Because you see, life begins with what we believe. Begins with the point of belief. And let me give you some examples. If you believe, at the bottom of your heart, that life has no purpose, you know, that that you just kind of, you know, you're a product of, you know, a sperm and an egg, and you just kind of came into being, and you're going to live your life until some point, and your life's going to come to an end. If you believe that life has no purpose, then you will live in perpetual depression. I want, you know, I'm not very good at telling jokes, but I heard one Friday night that kind of fits this, uh, this message. Um, it it was at the good news, uh, jail and prison ministry banquet. Um, it's a little boy that was upstairs one night and he comes down the stairs, just crying. He's crying. Oh, and his mother says, what's wrong? What's wrong? Why are you crying? He says, Is it true what what they say at church, that we've all come from dust? (laughs) And she said, well, yeah. Well, is it also true that we're going to all end up as dust? And she says, well, yes. (laughs) He says, well, I upstairs, I just looked under my bed and there's somebody either coming or going. <laughs> if that's all life is for us, if that's what we believe, that we're just dust to dust and nothing in between, and we have no connection with the one who has transformed that dust, if, we, if that's what we believe, then our lives will be empty. Why get up in the morning? Why do anything? Why breathe if that's all life is for you? You see, what you believe about life has all the, makes all the difference in, in how you live out your life. Now think about this. If you believe your happiness is of paramount importance in your life, your happiness, if you believe your happiness is more important than anybody else's happiness, if that's what you want in your life, if that's what you believe, then I'm here to say that you're going to live a very unhappy life. You try it. You try living for just yourself, and then you come back and tell me whether or not you've found happiness. Think about this. If you believe that might makes right, think about how that will change your life, what you will do. If you believe power is what makes right in the world, then you will do everything possible to gain and maintain control. You will try to control your family. You will try to control the circumstances around you. And maybe you will try to control the world, as some have tried to do. If you believe your country and your family and maybe even yourself is more important than God, if that's what you believe, and you know... (laughs) I often read in obituaries and I often attend funerals where I hear people say, my family, their family was the most important thing in their life. And that's wonderful. You want family to be important. But if family and country and yourself is is more important than God, then you will make gods of them. You will make gods of your family and your country and yourself. You see, it all begins with what we believe. What we believe determines how we live and what becomes important to us. Now, try the other hand, you know, try looking at it from a different perspective as well. And that is, what if you believe that love is stronger than hate? If you believe that at the bottom of your heart, then you will live a life of love even in the midst of hate. It will, it will make a difference in the way that you treat others and the way you treat yourself and the way you live your life. If you truly believe that we're all God's children, then you will treat everyone as your brother and sister. So the real question is, do you believe that? If, if, if you don't believe it, what do you believe? If you believe that Christ died for all of us, then you will learn to forgive others as you know you have been forgiven. If you believe that Christ is risen and what he said about the kingdom of God is true, if you believe that, then you will look for him everywhere because you will expect to see him and you will begin to see him in the lives of other people. Because that's what Jesus taught. What we believe will determine how we live. Because you see, life begins with what we believe. I want to tell you, I, I've shared this story before, but it it will go with me to my grave, I'm sure. But when my youngest son, Jesse, was a toddler. It was about this time of year. We took him to our church at uh, Air United Methodists in Richmond. We took him to the Easter egg hunt of the church. And there were about 100 kids that had lined up with their baskets. We'd given him his basket and they called out, let the Easter hunt begin. And the kids, they started running around the building. It's kind of a lawn that goes all the way around, around the church. And there they went, all the kids. They were like a swarm of locusts or like a vacuum cleaner, you know, just sucking up the the eggs as they went around the lawn. Now, Jesse has always been a little kid anyway, but he was particularly small at that time. So he was at the end because all the big kids, they were out front, and boy, they were grabbing all the eggs. And here he's coming with his little basket. He manages to find two. And he puts them in his basket. Finally gets around almost to the last of the of the turns. All the old, older kids, they've already long since passed. And he's looking everywhere. And he starts crying. I only have two eggs. I only have two eggs. I tell you, if I had a million dollars, I would have bought an egg for a million dollars. You know, as a parent, you, I think you can imagine what it feels like. You you hate to see your child hurting and you want to do whatever you can. But before I could do anything, there was another little boy that came over and put an egg in his basket. And he said, here, take one of mine. I looked out oh, kind of over his shoulder. I could see what I presume was his mother standing there. And you could see on her face, she was so proud. You could also, you you knew that she didn't prompt him. This was something this child did on his own. And immediately, Jesse's demeanor just brightened. He was so, so thrilled that somebody had given him an egg. Now he only had three, but he, he had one more than he had before. So we continued on nearing the end of the Easter egg hunt, and we came upon a little girl who was weeping because she didn't have any eggs and without prompting Jesse took the egg that he had been given and he put it in her basket that's when I started crying (laughs) I didn't have to tell him you see he had experienced grace He believed in it, and and so he lived out that grace, that, that love. He did it on his own, and that's how it begins with us, you see. What we believe makes a difference in how we live. If you believe that God has filled your basket with grace, if you believe that, if you believe God has blessed you beyond measure, if you believe that, then you will want to share what you have been given because, you see, life begins with what you believe. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for all those eggs you put in our baskets. Help us, us, Lord, to believe that you put them there for a reason so that we might give them away. Amen.